to be here this morning. Uh, for those that I haven't had a chance to meet yet here, I'll introduce myself real quickly. My name is Alan Krim. Uh, I serve on the elder team here at Cornerstone, well, formerly Cornerstone, about to be Creekside. We're excited about that, excited to make that official a little bit later today. And uh, I, I was about to, uh, to uh, speak, um, I guess before I speak, I should tell you that this, wasn't, this message wasn't supposed to happen until next week. Uh, we're, we've been going through the book of John, and uh, last week we went through a uh, passage in John 13, and, and I've been uh, on the schedule to speak about John 15. And earlier this week, Kyle calls me up and says, hey, you know, would it be possible for you to speak this Sunday? Uh, for those of you that, that hadn't heard, Kyle's wife, Karen, uh, her, her grandfather passed away, and so they, were, they had the funeral going on this weekend, and I said, you know, that's, that's fine. I've been praying about this passage, and, and Frankly, was was you know ready to, ready to go, and so uh, next week Kyle will be back, and he'll be uh, jumping backwards a little bit into John 14. But today, we get to look at John 15 together. And uh, if you're sitting in one of the couple, fr- front couple rows, you might notice a little drool on my shoulder. That's just don't don't worry about that. That's my daughter kind of fell asleep as I was holding her over there during the the music. So that's nothing against Nick. He he's doing a great job. She's just. She's tired. She woke up at like 5 o'clock this morning, and I've, I've been ever, up ever since then also. So, John chapter 15. And, and before we read, just to kind of set the stage, Jesus is, is spending his, his last night with his disciples before he was about to go to do really what his whole ministry has been leading up to, what his whole time has been culminating to. Jesus came to die. And of course, he knows this. But his disciples, they're still kind of in the dark about it. You know, he's been telling them about this. They should know it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, that he was going to Jerusalem to die. But they hadn't really grasped it. They hadn't really gotten it, the fact that Jesus was about to die. But he knows this. He knows what's coming. And he's really taking advantage of this last precious time with them before the cross to kind of share some of the deepest truths and and, and most precious promises that we can read in Scripture. So keep that in mind as we read together uh, from John 15. John 15 in verse 1. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing." If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. 
If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You do not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. This is God's word. Let's pray once again. Father, we're, we're hungry for your word to, to work on us, God. We want to be changed. We want to be people who, who bear fruit. So I, I pray that in this short time together, you would bless your word to our hearts, uh, that you would do big things this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. And the big idea in this passage is fruit. Jesus wants his disciples to be people who bear fruit, to be people who are changing, to be people who are, who are being used in big ways. And you can see this if you look back in, in John 14. I'm not going to steal Kyle's thunder, but John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Just this idea that Jesus wants his disciples to be people who are fruitful, who are, who are keeping his commands, who are following all the things that Jesus has laid out and taught. And as we think about this idea of fruitfulness, um, we think, how can I become like that? You know, we all want that, right? We all want to be people who are fruitful, people who have a flourishing deep down in our soul. And so we want to listen to the words of Jesus. And, and really, we're looking at it for, through three lenses this morning. We're going to look at the vine dresser, the branches, and the vine itself. And so he starts out in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. So we see this metaphor, this image. He's saying, I'm the vine, and my father is the vine dresser. My father is the vine dresser. Now, you think about all the different images of God that come to our, to our minds. We think of him as, as, as a king, as someone who is high and lifted up and, and exalted, as the creator of the world, as all these things. And Jesus here is saying, Something a little bit different, but something that's really neat to think about. The fact that the father is the vine dresser. He's a gardener. He's a farmer. He's taking care of the vine. And he's doing everything he can to bring forth fruit. Now you think about it. What, first of all, think about what does it mean to be fruitful. What is this fruit? 
You know, the passage that I think probably comes to, to our minds, first of all, is, is this passage from Galatians 5.22, when he says the fruit of the Spirit, Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Who doesn't want those things in their life, right? Who doesn't want to be a person known as a person of love? You know, once, when you go to a funeral and, and, and they give the eulogy for the person, what do you hear about? You hear about how they impacted other people. And if we're people of love, then we're leaving a legacy. We're bearing fruit that lasts. Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want to be known for joy? This is a deep-seated joy that no matter what happens in life, there's joy there. And these are the things that we want. These are the kind of people that we want to be. And, and, and here we see that, this, that God, the vine dresser, the gardener, is taking an active part in that. You know, we don't have a God who is distant from us. A God who stands back with his arms crossed and just says, hey, bear, bear me some fruit. He has got his hands in there, working, gardening, pruning. He is involved. He is involved in each one of our lives. For what? For what purpose? He's bringing forth fruit. And isn't that just amazing to think that the creator, the king, the God over all the universe comes in and works in our way, in, a, in, in our lives in such a close, intimate way. That's the kind of God that we have. And Jesus is pointing them to say, you know what, my father is the vine dresser. And he wants there to be more fruit. And he's working. And he's working in each one of your lives to make that fruit happen. Now that's a, that's a radical message. You know, I think you look around, everyone in our culture, everyone in our, in our world is on some kind of a self-improvement quest, right? You look at the magazines as you go through the checkout line and it's how to be, you know, a better mom or how to be a better hunter, or whatever it might be that you're into, there's something out there that says you can improve, you can do better. But Christianity is not a self-improvement program. It is God coming down, reaching into our lives, and pruning us to bear fruit. It is God working in our lives to transform us. But think about this. What is the pruning? Pruning is, and I'm, not a, I'm by no means a gardener, I've never worked in a vine, okay? So I'm, I'm going off of things I've read, things I've watched on YouTube, all this kind of stuff, okay? But I do know this, I have some bushes that grow along my house, and a couple times a year I kind of get something out and try to whack them back and cut them down. And, and I have a, a crab apple tree, and I know that there's little shoots that keep coming up at the bottom, and I have got to keep cutting those off. And, and what is pruning? Pruning is cutting off some, some pieces of a living plant so that it'll be more fruitful. That's, that's it in, in essence. Pruning is cutting back so that there can be more fruit. Now that's what God's doing. God is pruning. He is cutting back so that there can be more fruit in our lives. Now you think about this. What is that cutting? What is the pruning? And I think that there's two big ways that, that come to mind as we think about how God prunes us. The first one that comes to my mind is just this idea of trials. 
and, and things that we go through in life that are hard. And you look at 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter 1, 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Get this, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by, by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Trials are coming into our life, and God wants these trials to bring out more fruit, to show that our faith is genuine, to show that it's real. Okay? Now, when you're going through these trials, when you're feeling the pruning, it's not a very comfortable thing, right? It's not something we look forward to. Man, I'm going to get pruned. Yes! No. It is painful. It's hard. But Jesus is, is saying these things because the disciples are gonna, gonna, about to go through something that's really tough. And he knows that they're all going to really just run away. But he's trying to tell them, God wants fruit to come out of your life. And he's going to prune you. And he's going to use hard things to do that. The knife of that pruner does not feel good. Another way that we are pruned, if you go back to the, to the John 15 passage, he says, Jesus says in verse 3, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Now this doesn't come out very well in the English translation, but some, some translations do translate that word pruned as cleansed. And, it, and it's, it's really kind of the same kind of thought, the same kind of word. And so Jesus is kind of saying, already you've already been pruned. You've already been cleansed because of the word, because of the word that I have spoken to you. So, you know, trials are one way that we are pruned. But another way, and I think this the most common way that we're pruned for fruitfulness, is by the word of God, right? We get into the word of God and it starts to change us. Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it, it, it cuts us in it and it exposes our hearts to us. Okay? And it shows, it shows us, man, it shows us where we're going wrong. It shows us where we're going off the path. It shows us where we are not following, where we're not being fruitful. And I think that this is the most, just the most normal and, and common day-to-day -day way that we are pruned and that we are changed is by the Word of God. Now, if you think about pruning, after the pruning is done, you look down at the ground and you see all these branches, green branches with leaves, and they're just laying there on the ground. And you think, man, what a waste, Right? All these, all these living shoots, all these, all these seemingly productive branches with leaves and all this stuff are just scattered on the ground. And you say, man, that just seems like what a waste. What's, what's the purpose of that, right? What's the point of that pruning? And yet what you find out, and, and I actually did 
I, I kind of I watched some YouTube videos on, on pruning, and it's really kind of interesting. Do it sometime if you're really bored and you want to <laughs> kill some time. But there are, there's all this, these reasons. And if you, are, if you are an experienced gardener or pruner, there's all these things you're looking for, right? You could be looking for some branches may have some disease on them. Or some branches that are going to bear, bear grapes, you notice that there's another uh, branch coming up that has all these leaves on it that's just going to shade it and those grapes aren't going to get any light. Uh, there's also, there's an optimum ratio of the number of leaves to the clusters of grapes. And then there's also just, you know, sucker shoots that start to come up. They're, they're just going to kind of take up energy and take up sap and all this stuff. And so the one, the vine dresser, the one who is pruning this branch is, is an expert. He knows exactly what needs to cut off, be cut off and what needs to be left behind. You know, and some of us are going through some trials right now. All of us have trials throughout our life. Some of us are going through some really hard things right now. And the question comes to our mind, man, this just seems like such a waste. This seems like so pointless to see this life and these things being cut off, being scattered on the ground. And Jesus is telling us all this stuff so that we can know, man, Jesus is saying, my father is the vine dresser. He is the one that is pruning you. He is the one that is bringing out this fruit. And you need to just rest and trust that he knows what he's doing. And he's doing this for your good so that you can bear more fruit. So that's the vine dresser's role in bringing out this fruit. Let's continue on in verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, there's, there's also something that Jesus is calling the branches to do. And there's two types of branches, okay? So let's, let's, let's talk about that first. There's the, the fruit-bearing branches, and there's the non-fruit-bearing branches. Now, first, the non-fruit-bearing branches. Now, this is, this is a big, you, you can read so many different viewpoints on this, uh, on who are the unfruitful branches and, and what do they mean and what do, who, who are they? Are they? Are they Christians that have ceased to, to, to live for Christ and so then they're cut off? Are they people that, that um, have some exposure to Christianity and, and yet they have, they have just, um, they're not truly a part of, of the vine? So I'm just going to, I'm going to give you kind of my, my conviction and, and what this is, and, and if you have a difference of opinion, we can talk about it afterwards, but, uh, you know, I believe that these branches that are cut off are unbel unbelievers. These are branches that have not, uh, that do not have a genuine, real attachment to the vine, and, and just three quick reasons. The first comes from the context. What's just happened? Judas, who, who is a part of, of, of Jesus' inner circle, part of his his 
you know, closest group of, of followers has just left. And not only has he, has he left, he has left for the purpose of betraying Jesus. And you say, you, you can think about this so much, and it still is mind-boggling to me that someone that could walk with Jesus throughout his years of, of ministry and see him heal and see him do miracles and not be really connected to Jesus, not be really a part of that vine. So I think the first thing is by context. Jesus is saying that there are branches, just like Judas, that, that have a superficial attachment to me, that are maybe interested in, in the benefits and the things that I can bring them, who want to be, be my treasure, who want to be connected to what's happening. But maybe when they realize that this is not going the direction they thought it was going, they run, they jump. Okay, I think that, so I think the context is the thing that points us that way. Another thing is just the message of Jesus. As you think back, think to the parable of the soils. You know, there's, there's, there's the seed that falls on the different kinds of soils. And some, you know, spring up, they appear to have life for a while. They're in the shallow ground, but when the heat and when the things come, they, they shrivel and die. Or the thorns come in and choke them out. And, you know, we, I, I think you've got to say those seeds were never really connected that these branches were never really connected in a way where they were abiding in Jesus. And I think it's just consistent with the, book, the rest of the book of John. You know, Jesus talks about unless one is born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. He talks about in, in John 10 that he says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. You know, I think that if a vine is connected to Jesus and drawing its life from Jesus, and is a genuine branch, that that branch is going to remain. It's going to bear fruit and remain. I also think that, you know, can you have genuine faith in Jesus and, and never have fruit? And I think that the, the testimony of Scripture is no, that if you are a real branch, there's going to be fruit. Sometimes it might just be a little fruit, but there's going to be some fruit there in your life that is coming about because you have been connected to the, to the true vine. And so I think the warning for us is that, you know what, don't think that it's enough just to have a superficial attachment to Jesus, to just to come on a Sunday morning or to sing, to sing worship songs and, and to, to maybe kind of live a life that, that looks good from the outside. A superficial attachment to Jesus is not what he wants. He wants a real, genuine, connected attachment that bears fruit. That's what he's looking for. Now for the other kind of branches, there's branches that are bearing fruit. And, and there's all different levels of fruit, okay? But the commitment from the vine dresser is the same. I want that branch that has some fruit to bear more fruit. I want it to, 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 to increase. And what is the thing that he tells? What is the command? What is the thing that he, that he says for the fruit-bearing branch. What is the responsibility of the branch? Abide. So I'm going to talk about what is this, what is this word abide? What does it mean? You know, it's not a, a word that we use very often, and some of the different ways are translated. Uh, I think NIV says, remain in me. Some other translations, I think the message says, make your home in me. You know, it's not just, it's not just that we're remaining and not leaving, uh, and that's why it's a hard, hard word for, for them to translate, but it's also just the idea of dwelling of making our home in Jesus. Now, 
you can live somewhere and not really have it be your home. I think back to when I was a single guy. Uh, I lived in a, in a, in a house that, uh, you know, at first just had white walls. I guess that's a no-no. You don't, I mean, it may be, it can, you can do it, but I just mean, there was nothing up on the walls. Not just the color white, but no, you know, just nothing to really make it a home. Now, I, I was very blessed when I, when I met my wife, and, and uh, she kind of came in and just did this complete transformation, and um, it's a nice thing about being married to someone who went to school for interior decorating, but, you know, you can live somewhere and not really have it be your home, and, and Jesus is really saying, you know, I want you to make yourself at home in me, to really abide, to dwell, to have that be, when you think of me, is that your home? And, and when I say the word home, all these, all these thoughts come to mind, like, Home is a place of rest, right? Home is a place where you can be yourself. Home is a place where, where you gather for celebrations and holidays and all these things. And Jesus is saying, I want you to make your home in me. That's what I want you to do. Stay connected to me. Just, just like that, so that you're drawing your life and everything from me. So that I'm the one that's nourishing you that's feeding you, that's making you grow. And, and just to quickly hit on some of these things involved in abiding, I'm, I'm going to kind of go through these next verses, and I'm not, I'm not really going to camp on any of them too long. Uh, you know, each of these could be a study that you guys could do to think about what is involved in, in abiding, but I kind of want to just, just go through them in, in kind of a, a shotgun way. But, you know, besides just this idea of making ourselves at home, I think you would, you would say that abiding is, is enabled by the Holy Spirit. And, and, and you see this in the previous chapter, John 14, 14 and verse 16. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So the Holy Spirit takes the presence of Jesus and, and, and makes it real to us. The Holy Spirit is the one that really enables all this fruit bearing. Again, what did Paul say? The fruit of the Spirit. The fruit comes from being indwelled by the Holy Spirit. You know, the other thing that Jesus says about abiding is the only path to fruitfulness. What does he say? He says um, in verse, verse 4, As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. It is a necessity. To bear fruit, the branch has to be connected to the vine. There's no other option. There's no plan B. The, The branch has to be connected to the vine. You know, another thing that is shows that we're abiding is that we are marked by the words of Jesus abiding in us. Let's see, look at, look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. These things go together. If we are going to abide in Jesus, his words have to abide in us. His words have to be in us. And so we ask the question, you know, when I think about the word of God, is it living inside of me? Is it abiding in me? Is it changing me? 
Is this word transforming me? Or, or am I content just to look at it and, and to forget about it? Or does it stay inside of me? And we think of, of what he says in Psalm 1, that the fruitful tree is meditating on the word of God day and night, meditating on the law and bearing much fruit. So we've got to have the word in us. The branches abides. It also is marked by powerful prayer, by prevailing prayer. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. And for the purpose, what does it say? By this is my Father glorified. This is prayer for the purpose of fruitfulness. Prayer for the purpose of being, bringing glory to the Father. That's the purpose of, of abiding and being marked by prayer. It leads to a greater experience of God's love. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Now think about that. As the Father loved the Son, the Son says, so have I loved you. Now that love does not change, but our experience of that love can change. Our experience of that love can, can change. And, and so Jesus is saying, abide in my love. Be at home in my love. Think about my love. Meditate about my love. Let my love transform you. And if we're abiding in him, then that's going to happen. If we're staying connected to him, then we're being changed by his love. And then the result from that says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. As we, as we stay connected, as we abide in his love, it leads us to, to, be, wanna, to wanna obey. Remember, we said, if you love me, you will keep my, my commandments. When we love Jesus, then we wanna obey. It's not a burden, it's not a duty. We wanna do it. So, an abiding branch is one that's keeping the commandments of Jesus. And then lastly, these things I command, um, we'll see, verse 16, oh sorry, verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. An abiding branch is experiencing joy. And not just any joy, this is the joy of Jesus. He says, my joy will be in you. So we thought about bearing fruit, the role of the vine dresser, okay, and the role of the branch, abide in the vine. The last, the last kind of aspect of this is to, to look at the vine itself. And here's what Jesus says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. Now what does he mean by that? This is actually the seventh I am statement in the book of John. And just to hit him quickly, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And here he says, I am the true vine. Now all of these statements have to do with relationship. You know, Jesus is the bread. We, we feed on him. We are nourished from him. He's the gate. He, he's the way we enter into relationship. He's the shepherd. He's, he's coming alongside us and taking care of us so that we'll grow. And here he says, I am the true vine. Now what does he mean when he says, I am the true vine? Now, if you lived in that time with Jesus, you had a certain common knowledge of, of the Old Testament, and you, and you would know that the vine throughout the Old Testament is used as a symbol for Israel. 
The vine was a symbol for Israel. And you can see this if you look at Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5, starting in verse 1, Isaiah writes, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a, a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. God took Israel and made him his vine. And he was waiting for there to be fruit, for there to be righteousness, for there to be justice. And what happened? The vine never fulfilled those promises. He never really saw the kind of fruit. It said it bore, it, 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 it came, wild grapes came out of the vine. So Jesus When he says, I'm the true vine, he's saying, everything that Israel was supposed to be, I am. Everything that they were supposed to fulfill and couldn't, I came to do. I came to be the perfect vine. The vine that would only bear real grapes and fruit that would glorify God. Everything that they could not do, Jesus came to accomplish perfectly. I'm the true vine. And what did the vine do? John, going back to John 15. John 15 and verse 12. He says, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You know, the only perfect vine that never needed any pruning came willingly and put himself under the knife. The only person who ever experienced perfect connection with God said, I'm going to be the branch that's withered and cut off. I'm going to be the branch that takes the fire of judgment so that branches could be brought in, so that we could have connection with God. Jesus said, I'm going to be separated from my Father so that you could be connected to me. Man, isn't that, isn't that precious? Isn't that amazing to think that that perfect vine, the one who should never have experienced any separation from the Father, he willingly went there. He willingly went under that knife. And you know, you think about it, 
the same knife cuts the fruitful branches and the unfruitful branches. You know, some people, they have the circumstances come into their life and the same circumstances come to two different people and some say, and some it pushes them away from God and they say, how could I ever follow a God who would let that happen to me? Other people, those circumstances come to and they say, what else can I do? I'm going to be connected to the vine. I'm going to draw my life from him. I'm going to be transformed by him. And so what kind of a branch are we going to be? Let's be fruit-bearing branches that when the knife of the Father comes, we remember, oh, Jesus was cut by that knife too. He took the punishment and the judgment that I deserved. One more verse before we take communion. John 6. John 6, 56. Jesus said, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. And what's Jesus saying? You know, when we take the bread and the cup, it's just a reminder of what Jesus did. It's a way that we can remember that he took the judgment. He took what we deserved. And yet it's also a way for us just to abide, just to be connected to him in faith, to say once again, Father, I deserve judgment, and Jesus took that judgment for me. So let's pray, and then, and then we're going to take the, the bread and the cup. Let's remember what Jesus did for us. Father, Thank you that the true vine, the perfect vine, the, the fruit-bearing Son of God willingly took the knife that I deserved and was, was cut off, was separated, that he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet he did it because he loved us. He did it so that we could, could come into real relationship with you so that we could be connected connected by the forgiving healing blood of Jesus as we take this bread and we and we and we drink this cup may you remind us of that sacrifice and may it change us God we want to be people that are bearing fruit we want to be a church that is bearing fruit apart from Jesus we can do nothing Help us cling to that, God. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.